0: It's a real pleasure to be back and an honor to have a chance to speak again uh, in this seminar series in front of both uh, old friends as well as new friends and people that I haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting. Just a few things about what I'll try to do today and what I'll not try to do today. I'll offer a set of observations of sort of a big picture view of what I believe is happening to our media. This is not going to be a highly technical and specialized presentation of a particular piece of scientific research. Uh, I have much that I would love to talk about uh, in great detail and at great length, including much work uh, done with colleagues at the Reuters Institute that I'm very proud to work with. But what I want to do today is to give a, a bit more of a big picture view that I hope will be relevant to the many different kinds of people who are in the room who come from many different backgrounds and bring many different forms of expertise and experience to the conversation. What I'll do is to try to provide a big picture, an orienting picture, if you will. I'll also say that I'll be the first to underline that this big picture does not fit every situation. It does not fit every country. It does not fit every organization. It does not fit every individual's position within every organization. It would be, I think, impossible draw a picture that was both big and also had that level of granularity, so I will very much invite a discussion of those variations, but I think nonetheless that we can identify some general trends that are worth keeping in mind when we're trying to understand what is really, if you will, my core intellectual (coughs) concern, namely the institutional preconditions of professional journalism. Why is it that there are people who are being paid to do journalism rather than no people being paid to do journalism, and how are those preconditions? Mm -hmm changing today let's start maybe with just reminding ourselves of what is the nature of the beast if you will i think it's important that we ground any discussion of what's happening to our media and the implications of journalism in actually existing journalism rather than a sort of a rarefied and romanticized view uh, of what journalism uh, at its best is or for that matter a sort of a pantomime villain picture of what journalism at its worst might be so just a sort of a reminder, right, this is actually existing journalism, right? This is the Daily Mail from today. Um, and I think it actually it's a quite a, a useful stage problem in a way because we have here on the top half of the um, print front page, Hollywood's Darkest Day, um, the story that many of you will have followed that was broken originally by the New York Times uh, about a famous movie producer. Of course, immediately that story breaking has, uh, has also raised a number of questions about why is it only breaking now? since so many people seem to have known this for so long, including many journalists. Um, We also have in the bottom part of the front page, ex-home office uh, immigration chief tells MPs over one million illegals are in Britain. This is another kind of journalism. There's also a form of of journalism that is part of the uh, package. We have, of course, uh, the uh, obligatory uh, Kate uh, Middleton uh, picture uh, on the inside and of course sports and much else too. This is important. It's also imperfect and I think we just need to keep that in mind. We know for a fact that but all its many imperfections actually existing journalism have measurable and repeatedly demonstrated net positive impacts at least in free societies. We're not talking about perfect journalism, idealized journalism, we're talking about actually existing journalism People who pay attention to such news know more about politics than those who don't. Um, They are more likely to vote in elections. They are more likely to be engaged in their communities. These are demonstrable, and I think we would say, broadly speaking, positive net benefits of actually existing journalism, not perfect journalism. It is not perfect. It is imperfect. It is often quite rambunctious, it can be uneven, it can sometimes be, uh, turn out to have been imprecise or very partisan in its reporting and so on and so forth, but it has, at least in free societies measurable net uh, benefits. Of course, the way in which we encounter actually existing journalism is less and less this, and more and more the fact that everyone in this room carries in their pocket a supercomputer. And it's very easy to very quickly come to take for granted what an extraordinary thing it is. That each of us have a device like this in our pocket and, and the kinds of uh, opportunities that it affords us. So, broadly speaking, again, in high-income democracies, more than half of the time that people spent with media, they spent with digital media. More than half of the time that they spent with digital media, they spend with mobile media. And off the time that they spent with digital media, about a third of that time is spent with the services and products of just two companies, Google and Facebook. So this is the environment that we're moving towards, if you will. This is the environment in which uh, we increasingly encounter journalism and journalistic content is produced. I'm just going to run through very quickly my own morning where I came across news. Um, I subscribe to the New York Times, um, so I ritualistically scroll through the headlines. I quickly clicked on the, my Wednesday morning briefing and skimmed that. I did not read a single article. I skimmed headlines, and I found nothing that captured my attention for a closer reading in the morning, at least. I may return later. Um, if any of you saw me tweet something from the New York Times, you can infer um, from that um, whether I read it or not. I listened to NewsHour from the BBC on demand from yesterday evening. And then I came across a number of other news sources when I checked Facebook and Twitter, uh, which is more, if you will, a sort of um, light touch, low intent affirmation that the world is still the way it was yesterday. My friends are still having wonderful meals. Uh, Their children are still beautiful and funny. Um, And many of my friends have strong and very different views on many different public issues, and they share them. Um, And I appreciate that they share them amongst the many other things I come across in these platforms. This is great. I have access to some of the best journalism in my view uh, that we've ever uh, had. A journalism that is more accessible uh, than it's ever been. It's cheaper and more convenient for me as a user. It's often more engaging uh, than the standard, the box standard 800 words with a picture forms of journalism or two uh, minutes and 30 seconds of television or radio broadcast. It's also often more modest about its place in society because the rather imperial attitude of we print and you read, or we broadcast and you listen or watch, is uh, under considerable pressure. It's also, while far from as diverse as society, in many countries more diverse than it's been historically um, uh, amongst many dimensions. I'm not saying it's uh, where it ought to be, but certainly more so than it was in uh, in much of the 20th century. And I just want to say this one thing about this environment, and maybe people in the room will contradict me, But I think it's important. Um, I don't know anyone under 40 who would rather have the media environment that I grew up with than that media environment I just described. The media environment I grew up with was one in which, uh, and I'm uh, I'm not 100 years old though my students sometimes think it when I describe this, was one in which multi-channel television meant that I could watch spillover state monopoly broadcasting from Sweden with a very poor reception to complement the Danish uh, state monopoly public service television. Neither of these channels broadcast uh, throughout uh, the entire day, and only in 1988 did we get a second uh, commercially funded public service television station (coughs) in Denmark. Um, It was a world in which I could get a regional newspaper, um, and uh, because Denmark had strong public subsidies, also uh, uh, five nationally distributed print newspapers. But if I wanted to read anything else, I couldn't even get it at the local library. I would have to go either to the train station in Copenhagen, 60 kilometers away, to buy uh, print copies of newspapers from other countries or go to the central library in Copenhagen, again, 60 kilometers away. Now, this environment was wonderful in many ways. It had many benefits, also in particular benefits for the news companies that dominated that environment uh, commercially and for the journalists that were employed by them. But for me as a citizen, do I want to go back to the 1990s? No, I don't. And that's not to trivialize the potential negative implications of the change that we are seeing and the way in which these are playing out across different countries. But I think it's really important just to not romanticize the past. And that's not to idealize the present either, but just to have sort of a reality-based view of what this transformation might look like and what it looks like for um, ordinary citizens. So my proposition is that this is great, broadly speaking, to use a technical term. The reason I want to talk about this obsession of mine, um, I said to Mera over lunch, that I'm a typical academic, I'm completely obsessed with money, um, (laughs) is the question, who's going to pay? Who's going to pay for the journalism that I enjoy? Journalism is a profession, Uh, it's vocational work, it's not avocational work. Uh, For all the talk of citizen journalism, we can all commit acts of journalism or things that may help inform the public, but sustained journalistic work is professional work and should be compensated as such if we want it to be done properly. Uh, So how is it funded? Well, in terms of the things I came across, as said, the New York Times I subscribe to. So the New York Times by now makes more money from reader revenues than it does from advertising. This is a radical change. In the 1990s, American newspapers generated between 80 and 90% of their revenue from advertising. Now it is uh, closer to 50-50. Now, of course, those of you with a mathematical inclination will know there are two different ways of reaching 50-50, and they are not equally desirable from a commercial point of view. And, of course, much of this has been about the decline of advertising revenues, but it has also been about an increase in reader revenues, in particular for those who have been able to develop digital subscription models uh, that people find actually deliver value, which I personally do. Um, and uh, a small uh, but non-trivial number of people around the world do, too. The BBC I used as well. Well, of course, this is a very nice revenue model. You pay them or you go to jail. Um, (laughs) That one is uh, is fairly disruption-proof, at least in the short term, as long as we accept the political legitimacy of it and our elected officials uh, share our view. If that legitimacy is undermined, or if the uh, public service media organizations themselves are politicized, then perhaps that revenue model is rather less safe than it appears. And many of the journalists in the room, of course, come from countries in which it is almost unimaginable that you could have the kind of popular and political consensus that could enable the creation of this kind of entity, let alone uh, leave it um, relatively autonomous of the kinds of of hustle and bustle of political pressures. In most countries, public service media really are state media. Uh, and which is a rather different animal from the BBC, uh, with its imperfections. Facebook and Twitter, I came across news there, as said. Um, from a business point of view, the entities that provided that, the news organisation that published that stuff that friends of mine shared, uh, from a commercial point of view, were normally looking, ideally, from some sort of conversion, where my fleeting encounter with their content in a social media environment would lead me to click and go to their site so that they could display advertising next to it. Or perhaps even convince me to in the future to sign up as a subscriber. So conversion or uh, alternatively some form of revenue sharing. So for example, Facebook Instant Articles uh, allows for revenue sharing between Facebook and the publisher behind the content, though uh, the rates are still low. There is another model which has dominated digital journalism and digital news um, for a long time. It's not one I've actually made direct use of this morning, though I will probably later today uh, at some point, and that is the provision of news free at the point of consumption on a website or in an app uh, based on advertising. This model is much, much harder to make work. Of course, we've used it for a long time for other forms of commercially supported journalism. Television, for example, free at the point of consumption, advertising supported, but it's a model that is very hard to make work in this environment for reasons I will return to very briefly. Basically, it's still a situation, if you will, just running through the things that I have outlined, that my media habits just might be profitable and sustainable for the main providers I have relied on. But if I didn't pay a license fee, if I didn't subscribe, if I primarily availed myself of free at the point of consumption news, whether on-site or in social media environments, it would be an environment in which I think it would be fair to say that my parents' generation were paying for the news that I consume. Not in the sense that they still give me pocket money. I mean, they'd be welcome to, but they don't. Uh, but in the sense that their media habits are profitable, they are lucrative, their attention can be monetized, whereas digital habits (coughs) that involve no payment are very hard to monetize. We are more than 20 years into uh, an age in which news organizations have offered digital uh, news uh, online, and in almost every case that I know of, this is still done at a loss. Uh, very, very few news organizations uh, return a profit on their investments in online news. The basic issue here (coughs) essentially is very simple. Uh, It's supply and demand. The business of news historically was based on a low choice environment that gave very high market power to media organizations. They controlled the limited number of channels that allowed advertisers to reach audiences and gave audiences access to content. Today, we operate in a high-choice environment with low market power, and the consequences of this are very simple and completely predictable. It means that in this context, people will only pay for truly great and distinct content that creates value from their point of view because there's so much else they could access for free. Why else would they pay? And advertising rates, of course, have gone down dramatically because of the volume of inventory available. For advertisers so technology has changed but basic economics does not and again this is a pretty good situation for me as an individual user it's a pretty good situation for advertisers they get cheaper more precisely targeted at advertising and also the convenience of buying this through a few agencies of course they may wonder at about the, the longer term implications of relying on very few agencies to sell them their advertising Uh, but it's a pretty good world for advertisers too, and of course advertisers, like users, are voting with their feet. Just as my attention is moving towards digital media, which is a very clear revealed preference, so advertisers' money are moving to digital media. Again, a very clear revealed preference. But of course it's a problem for publishers, for news media organizations. Um, It's a problem for the profession of journalism that news organizations have sustained and constrained in the past. And it's potentially also a public problem, if you will, a societal problem, because we have in many societies relied on the private provision of the public good we call journalism. It is true in a country like this that something like 20% of the resources that are invested in news production come from the license fee, but the remaining 80% come from the market. And if the business models for news are eroding or uh, very dramatically changed in a way that in some cases suggests a collapse for some individual organizations, there are very real direct potential societal and public implications of that in terms of the number of journalists, in terms of the kinds of journalism that they can do. So there is a problem here, but again, it's not necessarily one that's an, an immediately visible problem for me as a user, as an individual citizen, even though it may have public implications, or for advertisers, or of course for those who are the winners in this new environment. I've talked about some of the business implications of this transformation that's underway with a move towards a more digital and more mobile and a more platform-dominated media environment and how audiences and advertisers are moving into that because they feel this works for them. There are very clear problems here for for for-profit publishers in this environment. Let me just briefly detour to just make clear and again particular for those of you who are journalists yourself or come from countries in which it is incredibly important to remember that there are other potential motivations for investing in journalism than profit. I would say that there are sort of two other ideal typical motivations for investing in journalism than profit. One is sort of public service or philanthropy. Uh, so this can be either the, uh, a collective decision by a society to say there is a market failure, and we will in some form try to dedicate public resources to addressing this market failure. License fees, direct and indirect forms of support for, pub, uh, for private sector publishers have been used in many countries, <coughs> in particular in Western Europe. But, of course, globally, the far more important, and widespread, and increasingly important in some countries, other motivation for investing in journalism than profit, is power. And this, of course, is the origins of journalism and news. Uh, Many newspapers started as organs of influence, either from the authorities, states, governments, monarchies often, the Gazette. Uh, In Vienna, for example, we have a representative from that paper here in the room. But of course, again, it doesn't have to be top-down power. It can also be civic associations trying to change the world, abolitionist newspapers, trade unions, political parties. So power is not necessarily pernicious in itself, but it's just important to consider what are the motivations for investments in journalism. Of course, power is a very central one and one we see very clearly around the world, whether by states, large conglomerates, or, or others trying to change the world. And I would pause it, broadly speaking, that as the profit motive becomes less important, we should remember that that does not necessarily only equal a contraction of the resources invested in journalism. Leave aside public service, that's a very sort of political and very sort of nationally contingent issue. But it also creates a potential space for power to move in. In part because one of the things that historically drove that motivation, the investment in journalism, as as an organ of influence, a form of exercising power in society, one of the forces that drove that out of the media in some countries, or marginalized it in some countries, was the rise of the profit motive. It was that the political organs had a very hard time competing for audiences' attention and advertisers uh, with more audience-oriented outlets. It became more and more expensive to run these, to subsidize these, and even if one did it, they had a harder and harder time actually capturing people's attention. But now, um, as the dynamics are shifting, it, A, becomes cheaper to invest in these. News organizations are worth less than they were in the past. You can get farther with less money um, in this environment in terms of your investment in editorial or content and distribution and the like. Um, And, of course, also the competition that they face, uh, at least from other news sources, is somewhat eroded as these uh, organizations' resources are eroded themselves. End of detour back to for-profit publishing, which is the main vehicle for sustaining professional journalism as we know it. It's a, in many cases, a necessary, but of course not a sufficient condition for professional journalism as we know it, is some form of for-profit publishing. What can publishers do to thrive in this uh, increasingly and incredibly competitive environment that I've outlined? Uh, I'll highlight a couple of things uh, that I think are critical. Uh, The first one I've already touched on Truly distinct and valuable content, and that includes never making the mistake of costing your product on the basis of what it costs to produce it, because you are not the judge of what has value. The user is the judge of what has value. The fact that it was expensive to do it does not mean that it is good from the point of view of the audience. That's a nice thought. I'm an academic. That's uh, sort of the thinking that underlines much of what we do. Um, but it's not a particularly viable proposition in the market. And of course, I would also say just from a journalistic point of view, journalism exists in the context of its audience. If you do not reach people, if you do not engage with them, what's the point? What difference are you going to make? Second, more diverse revenue. Uh, It's clear that sustainable business models in most cases will have to move beyond advertising and sales. Advertising rates are going down. Sales are set at heart because it's an incredibly competitive environment. So events, e-commerce, services, sponsorship, a range of other um, potential sources of revenue are being explored. This I think is important. Third, this is not a welcome observation for the journalists in the room, but I think a necessary one nonetheless. (coughs) Much leaner cost structures are going to be a necessary part of this transformation. And I can only say, and I say this with no particular glee or, or enjoyment of that point but we are at the beginning of this transition uh, for all that we have seen we are at the beginning of this every time someone dies it's someone who grew up in a print and television and radio media environment and every time someone comes of age it's someone who has grown up with digital media um, and that cohort replacement, that generational replacement is going to play out over the next many years and it points in only one direction in terms of the business as we know it. Fourth, because this change has been so dramatic so rapid and will continue to be both dramatic and rapid for the foreseeable future, news organizations need to be far more flexible than they have been in the past. News organizations were really, really interesting in many ways in the sense that the product was always new, but the process was always the same. Uh, And I think this is clear that this kind of sort of optimized mass production was very, very good in a stable media environment, but is very ill-suited for a rapidly changing media environment where one should not strive for the perfection that characterized broadcast at its best. It has to be right before it goes out, because once it's gone out, it's gone out. To what tech people would call minimal viable product. Experimentation, the willingness to make mistakes and learn from them and try new things. And fifth, um, I think from the point of view of companies, this is less from the individual news organization, though it does often apply to the news organization as well, the willingness to operate a portfolio of different activities so that if something goes wrong if something is suddenly disrupted radically dramatically um, rapidly that you have something else to fall back on Uh, a lot of news organizations effectively have been single product companies they did one thing and they did it well and they made a lot of money from it but if you do only one thing in a complex and changing environment if that thing is disrupted you're in a very exposed position I would say that these challenges and these possible routes ahead are actually surprisingly similar whether one is in a legacy organization, an organization that predates all of this stuff, whether print or broadcast, or whether one is in a digital born organization that is launched. They need to be distinct, they need to connect with your audience and create value in their terms, they need to be lean, they need to have a diverse business model, <coughs> they need to be flexible. These things are commonalities. Uh, Jimmy Maimon from the Huffington Post uh, said to us not so long ago, we are a legacy media company." Uh, And that is a company that is very young by the comparison with many uh, established media organizations and he's right Uh, When they set up their (coughs) video unit They rented separate floors for it in the building because as you said he didn't want the the desktop publishing people to control the new medium The second thing I want to say about the sort of nature of this change is that I really really hope that journalists take a very active proactive role in shaping this development if this is left to the money people and the tech people. The things that are done will reflect their values, their priorities, and those are not bad values or bad priorities necessarily, but they are not the same as journalistic values or priorities. So I really hope that journalists will actively engage uh, in this journey ahead. I'm gonna finish by just sort of saying, I know that this is gonna be a really rocky ride ahead, but I would rather that we face it with open eyes as societies but also as journalists uh, and as publishers. I really hope that um, as societies and journalists and as publishers, we we don't define, quote unquote, the problem as the question of how do we get back to the 90s? That is not what people who've grown up in a different media environment want, and I don't think it's what they should want. Uh, And even if that was what someone wanted, it is very hard to imagine uh, how one would pursue that desire Uh, So if the problem is defined in those terms, there will be no solution. We have to think about what a better future looks like, not what a return to the past looks like. There's going to be some winners from this transformation. Some of those winners are very clear already. They are the dominant platform companies, but there are also some publishers who will do well. They may not do well if the definition of success is the uh, the revenue numbers and the headcounts in the newsroom of the 1990s, but there are other ways of doing well. Uh, It's also clear that there will be many, many losers, Uh, I'm personally particularly worried about local journalism, uh, which it's very hard to see uh, uh, what a sustainable path ahead uh, looks like for that. And I'm also particularly concerned about what professional news production looks like, either in terms of serving underprivileged parts of the population or in uh, very poor parts of the world, uh, where it's always been difficult to make journalism work as a for-profit enterprise, and it's becoming increasingly so. Um, But I also, again, want to return where I started and said, I think we are at the receiving end as citizens and at the delivering end as journalists of some of the best journalism we've ever seen. I would challenge anyone in this room to make the case that we were better informed about the Kyoto climate change negotiations than we were about the Paris climate change negotiations. That doesn't mean that journalists always get it right. Of course they don't. We've seen very clear examples of that, of both individual journalists and the profession as a whole, largely missing some, of the, some huge and defining stories of our time, the financial crisis 10 years ago, um, many recent political events in both the US and the UK were big surprises for the journalists as they were for many other analysts. There are many issues like this, uh, so I'm not at all arguing for some sort of legitimist vision of journalism as perfect. Of course it's not perfect. It's very imperfect. as any other important institution. But I think the best journalism today is some of the best we've ever seen. And I think also that journalists, as well as the organization that they work of, has many things to be proud of, in addition to the quality of the best of the content that they produce. I find it very hard to imagine that any other profession or any other industry could go through the kind of dramatic disruption and transition that the business of news and the profession of journalism has gone through and still stand. A move from a world in which I had less than half a dozen choices, or little more than half a dozen choices, to one in which I have a near infinity number of choices. And I still routinely go to journalists and to news organizations for information about the world. It's extraordinary. If you look at the average lifetime of companies, uh, publicly traded companies on the stock exchange, many of them die rapidly, even in this storm of creative destruction The vast majority of established news organizations have so far been able to adapt enough to sustain themselves. I don't think they have adapted enough to find a sustainable model for the future, and I don't know what that model is, uh, but I hope they will continue to struggle to do so, and I believe they also have something to be proud of that they, and this by extension includes you as journalists, those of you who are journalists in the room, still command so much attention in such a competitive environment, still command grudging respect and or fear, perhaps contempt from people in positions of power that they sometimes will answer some of your questions and that you can still make a difference. Uh, Whether that is as in the case of powerful people in private enterprise being brought uh, at least partially to account for their deeds or uh, holding political power and others to account. So with that, um, I will thank you for your attention and look forward to the discussion.